0: This podcast is sponsored by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. Please visit Hover.com and use promo code CastleBlack to get 10% off your first order. He has to pay the iron price. He has to pay the iron price. I'll never respect you while he lives in. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes my word is my bond, and my bond is my word. To Harris, all men must serve. See, as the flies, time slips by. Out, all men must die. All men must
1: Welcome die. to the Game of Thrones podcast, brought to you by Baldmove.com. We are the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And tonight we're gonna to be talking about episode nine of season four, The Watchers on the Wall. Seriously watching from that wall. They are watching hard. They're doing more than watching. They're shooting. They're dropping. <laughs> they're scything. Uh-huh. They're defending. They're standing. They're holding. They're, they're knocking. They're drawing. They're swapping sex talk, talk. Sexy sex talk. Locker room talking. Yeah. Do yeah. lots of stuff all on the wall. hmm All along this watchtower. This is directed by Neil Marshall. Last heard from in Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater.
0: Seriously? It's the same
1: guy who did this episode? Apparently they bring this guy out when big guns are needed.
0: I guess so. We've got a
1: sprawling battle fought in one location. Neil, do you got anything going on that weekend? All right, head on to Estonia or Iceland or bumfuck Sweden, wherever. We're filming these wall scenes.
0: But Blackwater felt like the fifty cal that's mounted to the back of the truck. This felt like the AK that just got dropped in the dirt like okay <laughs> i mean it's not that bad it's no, not no, that no, bad no. It's you're gonna get people pissed at i know it. already i'll explain that in further detail later
1: can you please uh david benioff and db weiss of course wrote as they do most of the episodes and this premiered to 6.95 million people watching which is down about a quarter mil quarter mil of butthurt oberon weepers could not make it this week that's a lot of people yeah
0: no. quarter million it goes
1: up it goes up and down i mean it's it's highly unusual for a show to gain watchers as it goes It yes, almost definitely. never happens sometimes
0: it'll happen in the season finale, yeah, but that's about it,
1: but usually shows lose viewers season by season and episode by episode, and yep this defies all trends so Let's talk about this episode. Shall we talk about our overall opinion? I think you kind of spoiled it. We talked about it on the Instant Cast, that this so, is not a bad episode.
0: Everybody settle down. No, this was a fairly strong episode. Uh, it, was, it was certainly epic, but it was not Blackwater. Come on, people.
1: No, that's the thing. I, I, don't, I don't think people can make an argument, at least none that's compelling to me, <laughs> to say this is as epic as Blackwater. -hmm. Or that it was as personally tragic as Ned or The Red Wedding. I just don't think you can make those those types of arguments. And that's it's competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean
0: within the same show.
1: It's competition this season has been Deaths of Joffrey, Sack of Marine. The explosion of of Oberyn's head was
0: incredible. Yes. And and the stuff I mean, even the, the courtroom scene with Tyrion had more of an emotional punch than John losing Egret. I didn't give a shit about Egret.
1: Yeah, a lot of people did. Um, I honestly found it hard to engage with their relationship both in the books and on screen. Okay, All I right. feel like, you know, Rose gave it as good as she got. Uh, I feel like that, you know, Kit Harington has definitely grown a lot as an actor.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: and a character, John Snow, And, and as a character, but in the end... We, you know, if it's if it's competing against Blackwater for spectacle, mm-hmm. it's hard to beat that wildfire and you know the desperate defense of the wall and the and the stakes and the fact that you know is Tyrion leading the charge and it's just you know Tyrion and the Hound versus Jon and Ned and 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 and, Ed. and Sam. <laughs> it's just yeah, and Sam there and you know Alistair Thorn. I mean, John Jonas. Yeah, it. It's not the same.
0: Because I, A, I don't hate Alistair Thorne nearly as much as I hated Joffrey at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Joffrey chickened out and couldn't, you know, bolster his forces, I, I did not have a problem with that. I enjoyed seeing that. Right. Alistair Thorne kind of was somewhere in the middle. He definitely helped the battle, he did sure. his fair share and fought. And I don't know. I, I just didn't feel the punch that I felt during Blackwater.
1: let's talk about it. Before we get started, I want to talk about something me and Jim are pretty excited about and only tangentially talks or touches on Game of Thrones. I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, So Breaking Bad fans, Miguel and Jenny, uh, living out in Albuquerque and the ABQ, are doing a Breaking Bad festival that's coming up in the autumn. Uh, They have a Facebook page where you can get all the information right now. It's facebook.com slash Breaking Bad Fest. And they have a Kickstarter going live tonight. And if you are a fan and you're interested in going to this, uh, go and check it out. They've got a really cool pitch video. It's got, uh, who was it? Was it Victor?
0: Yeah. Victor. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's in it.
1: Victor uh, from Breaking Bad is in it and they're going to have a panel. It's going to be a two day fest. They're going to have a panel uh with several stars of breaking bad that they've invited Jim and I out there to moderate. We're gonna be at the con uh meeting and greeting and MCing some events. They're gonna have a costume show. They're gonna have a lot of tours uh organized where you can actually go out and see Tahajoli and the uh uh, high the, the the spillway where Jesse and Walt got picked up by the cleaners and oh I'm getting a little bit of spoiler reaction. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a real a really good time and if you've ever thought about making a pilgrimage out to Albuquerque to see some of these locations and meet some of the stars, uh, it's going to be as big as the fans support it. They've got in mind a budget and basically whatever the break whatever the Kickstarter breaks in, it's going to go right to the convention and make it bigger better. So how big will it get? Not really sure until. Uh, the Kickstarter's over, but Jim and I want to throw our support behind that because uh, we're big Breaking Bad fans, and we're mm-hmm. excited to be a part of this. So check out Facebook.com slash Breaking Bad Fest. Uh, click through there to the Kickstarter and uh, support him for as much as he can. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise.
0: What a wonderful day!
1: It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under thirteen. Um, and uh, without further ado, we'll get to the Game of Thrones part of the episode. It's the night, the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. It's the night of the battle, actually, and John and Sam are on the wall and are, and John and Sam wants to know what's it like to be with a woman, basically, sure, and John is poorly equipped to describe what it's like in any capacity, <laughs> you know, and she I'm, had
0: red hair, what did her feet look like? <laughs> yeah.
1: I thought that was pretty funny that was good, yeah, you know what's disturbing, like if you Google for an actress's name uh one of the auto autocompl- the top 5 autocompletes on damn near everyone is feet
0: okay
1: there is a lot of that. people googling for actresses feet and, and 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 you know maybe foot fetish is like a vastly more popular fetish in the american culture than i would get than i would grant it and there's nothing wrong with that i totally don't understand it though i'm just thinking that there's enough people that that's like the top 5 search results for a lot of actresses that you would hmm. search for anyway Uh, they also talk about how the vows the Night's Watch vows are slightly open interpretation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: got a hole that you can drive a fairly big uh, horse cart through you can't father children and you can't have wives but there's nothing to say you know there's no Night's Watch vow that says I shall have no mouth on my wang no no I shall accept no hand job (laughs)
0: I shall give no hand job.
1: I shall nothing in there. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Goes sh- both ways, man. Yeah, that's right. I shall not welcome my brother into my anal cavity. <laughs> nah, no, I mean, there's there's exceptions. There's there's ways to work within those rules.
0: Definitely, yeah.
1: I shall not pull out and wait. You know, there's nothing nothing about that. So there's there's a lot of lot 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 of wiggle room there. Mm-hmm.
0: But and, I think Sam's also right in that Alistair would not. Interpret that favorably for John. See, that's bullshit. Because... And that's the thing.
1: It's an open secret that many a black brother go off to Wiggle in Molestown. Sure. And nobody really gets punished for that. But John would. Because
0: Alistair fucking hates I, him. That, would he? I don't know. Not at I this moment. Not while the wall is under siege. But certainly before or after, yeah. I. The thing is,
1: is like I feel like people's a little... Alistair is an asshole mm-hmm. I'm not going to uh, debate that But he's also the drill sergeant He's kind of supposed to be an asshole And John did kill One of the most famous rangers in Night's Watch history And fr- freely admitted, Admitting to sleeping with a wildling girl That is a little fishy okay. Not to mention he's a bastard And they're, they're just no good. Sure. no good No good bastards
0: Everyone on the wall is a no good bastard
1: Pretty much um, so we then see a war gal uh, on top of the the wall, and that is a segue to us then being inside the wildling camp, where Tormund Giantsbane's trying to talk about the time he fucked a bear,
0: uh-huh.
1: and Egret <laughs> doesn't want to doesn't want any of it. He wants she wants them all focus up and know that uh, the ginger minge just claiming Jon Snow. Yeah, I killed him, and if I didn't kill him, none of you kill him because I'm gonna kill him faster. Sure. Uh, and that's about all for the uh, for the scene except for we see it's kind of weird we see it pans up onto the ridge and we see gilly with her baby just creeping along there and on her way to castle black which i get the imp- opinion this wildling camp is happening literally
0: right outside the gates seems like it yeah. like yeah. a quarter mile away maybe mm-hmm. uh enough time for sam to go talk with master Amon. right right or maester aemon sorry
1: so he goes uh, to talk to Maester Eamon because Jon sent him to go to bed and he refused to because apparently he's up and he's trying to read about wildling raids on villages to try to find comfort, I guess. He's looking for instances where they may have spared women and children or who the hell knows. He's he's just up reading. <laughs> and they talk about, uh, you know, love being the death of duty and, and the fact that Sam loves Gilly and then Maester Master Amon talks about him loving a girl once. Uh, you know, it's good good
0: acting material, but does mm. it mean anything to the larger story? It does. It solidifies Sam's conviction once Gilly comes back. I mean, without that discussion, I don't know that Sam kind of has the balls that he does during the battle. Mm. Okay. In fact,
1: we go on and... uh As he's going to, presumably, his bed, because Master Aemon kicks him out of the the library, uh, he finds Pip is arguing with a girl outside the door. Turns out it's Gilly with the baby, and he's like, open a fucking gate, Pip. And he does so, and he promises her that anyone that tries to throw her out of Castle Black from here on out are going to have words with me. There's 100,000 wildlings about ready to throw her out of Castle Black, so...
0: They're all going to have to have a word with Sam. he's got
1: a hearty fucking for each one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Stay the fuck out of our gates. Um, Mance then lives up to his word that he's going to light the largest fire the the North's ever seen. Mm -hmm. Clearly uh, saw Craster's keep fire and said, that's not a fire. This is a fire. (laughs) Yeah, I'll show them a fire. Sets damn near the entire haunted forest on fire. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you needed a war gal to tell you that the fire, it's time, because... The entire northern skyline was orange with this fucking fire.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I didn't even realize that that's what the War gal was for. I thought it was counting their numbers. I think it's
1: for both, honestly, because they had okay. instant, you know, like how many were up top versus how many were below. And Yeah, yeah. And then the Wildings were confident that they could then go up and over the outer walls of Castle Black. Oh, God. Uh, before they... Uh,
0: what a terrible idea. Uh,
1: what? What's a terrible idea?
0: Going up the wall. What a horrible idea.
1: What else are they supposed to do? <laughs>
0: Just concentrate on that freaking tunnel? No, I'm talking the about way the guys on the
1: southern side of the wall.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they'll use the elevator to get up, sure.
1: Sure. Um, there's a surprising amount of confusion about what the wall looks like, and mm-hmm. probably a lot of it stemming from the stylized way in which they choose to depict the wall on the map. In, in the, the intro, yeah. So this, I was confused, too. Yeah, this, this, this wall is something, like in the book they talk about 700 feet high. I've heard that that is just absurdly high. And the George R. R. Martin has a hard time with scale when he's like thinking about it.
0: It looks about 700 feet high. I, though. I read that
1: the FX guys say that it's somewhere between four and 500 feet tall.
0: Okay. Uh, that's a fairly small distinction. <laughs> like, sure. How hard is a 500 foot wall to cross versus a 700 foot wall? But so it's
1: like roughly half the size and it's still fucking immense. Can you mm-hmm. imagine if it's sure. 700 feet tall, it'd be ridiculous. Yeah.
0: So- but on the map in the intro, it looks like it's about. 50 miles thick.
1: And it looks kind of like glacier a little, or the fact that it, like yeah. some people were confused that it was they thought it maybe it was like a, a, a canyon kind of thing where the wall is kind of like you hear the continental shelf de- described in the ocean where you kind of got this plane and it just drops off and then there's another plane. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people understood that the wall is a literal wall built mm-hmm. out of ice and it's, it, it it's It protects drop on the both north sides. and the south and vice versa. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, And you kind of got that. Uh, In the books, they talk about how 12 mounted knights can ride abreast on the top of the wall, Mm -hmm. and the bottom is roughly twice as thick, so you can kind of do some math. And I thought it was interesting to see how the, the brothers have carved, like, crinulations at the top and, like, defensive embankments, and they've got tunnels to go take you out of the weather, and you can board that little weird gate bucket thing. Uh but just I, I think that the there's a scene in here that we're about to get to that kind of shows you what the geography is all about. Um anyway, uh we see Alistair Thorne defending his leadership t- choices.
0: I like this scene a lot. Yeah, I got to say. Yeah, what did you like about it? Uh I like the fact that despite the animosity between uh Alistair and John, Alistair is on John's side at this point and And he comes to him and basically apologizes. Uh, He says, yeah, I was a dick, but if I were not sure of my convictions at that point, then you could have seen me as weak and I would have lost my way and this whole thing could have fallen apart. Hmm. I mean, he sees himself as the leader of this group of people and he needs to be that. And if that means being a dick to somebody, then so be it. (laughs) Right, again, I think... He can be
1: understood properly through the lens of a, a drill sergeant. Yes, I agree. And, you know, he finds a way to motivate. And he, he, he's got seventh sons and horse thieves and rapists that he's working with, and he's got to kind of, like, break these guys down sure. form them. It's kind of surprising they fight as effectively as they do. Mm-hmm. Like, it does seem that by the end of their induction process, when they take their vows, that they've been more or less f- melded into a fighting unit. Yeah, it m- nears up a crashers keep to the con- you know, but that was only six or seven guys versus, uh, you know, a hundred or, or or more that went up on the great ranging. So,
0: what happens if you wash out of uh, the night's watch? Uh, I don't know, training program. That's
1: a good question. I guess it depends on you're where you're there
0: as a punishment well, almost always.
1: I was gonna say, it depends on why you're there. If you're like yeah. a second son. And went and said, nah, this is, no, nah, I, I I, can't take the vows. <laughs> you could all, probably always go back. Because I think it's once you yeah. take the vows, you're fucked. Okay. But if you're a criminal and you're sent there mm-hmm. in lieu of...
0: You're probably punished how you would have been punished had you not gone to the wall, right?
1: But they do that at the wall. It's like, okay, well, you were going to lose I your right know. hand, so right hand's off. Get the fuck See out. Do they ship you back down south? Is it more like one of those? Nothing
0: about this in the books, or is it spoilery? Or no, no nothing about there's
1: it. Just, there's not really a case where that particular situation happens. It's something that John thinks a lot about. Okay, um, but no, I I, I I can't think of an instance where that's actually addressed. I wonder if it's kind of like I, I'm a big fan of the Patrick uh, O'Brien. Age of Sail, like set in the Napoleonic Wars, British Sailing Fiction. Master and Commander. And they'd have, uh, you know, you'd just get impressed. Like, you'd be walking down the city, and the press gang would come, and if you were the right size and age and shape, they'd just snatch you off the street, throw you on on the boat, huh. and that would be it, you know? And the visual draft. It, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but they also would, like, for the less, because the smart people would hide. They'd know the press gang's coming But for the real idiots, they'd actually have like signs like come, you know, adventure and you can save prize money and do all these things. Wait, wait, wait. They still do that. Wait, wait, wait. To
0: enlist people. No,
1: no, 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 no. I haven't gotten to depart. Okay. It's like come (laughs) aboard to inquire. You come aboard. Oh, they, they, yeah. like, sail. regardless of your response to the sales pitch. Oh, God. You you're either going onto the boat, you're not getting off that boat. Okay. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't like show up at a recruiter's office, get clapped in irons, and like you wake up here <laughs> in the Gulf of Arabia. You know, that okay. doesn't okay. happen. They do do some other bullshit stuff. Sure. But, sure. Sure. Um, Anyway, I, I imagine it's like that with the Night's Watch. It's like, you know, it's like, well, I'd just rather lose my right hand than you know, the guy I look at you he's like, Well, I wish I wasn't, you know, born the first son and inherited my daddy's castle and that's not gonna happen. So stuck at the wall, boy. Or they just yeah. kill you. Like I it just feel like the night's watch doesn't have enough men to ship you down or do any of that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So. They'll discard you.
0: Uh the the other thing I noticed about Alistair That's my head
1: cannon. It's, there's no cannon source, that's just what I imagine happens.
0: Okay, sure. Uh the other thing that I noticed about Alistair Thorne in this episode and in this particular scene is he has the largest face to head ratio or vice versa his face is tiny compared to his head he's an odd looking dude his eyes are very close together his mouth is close to his nose he looks like he's wearing guy liner although i don't think he is (gasps) and i'm not making fun of the man i'm just saying it's uh i noticed it it's noticeable yeah no i get nothing wrong with having a small face and a gigantic head
1: who's the guy that played whiplash in the second iron man he's also in the the second expendable mickey rourke He's got a Mickey Rourke face. Where this guy was a really good-looking hmm. dude once upon a time, and maybe there's some questionable decisions made with steroids. Maybe it's like just the a... ravages of time. Okay, he's just gotten the like his you know bloated old guy face. that's had a couple glasses of scotch a day.
0: Sure, like like every person on the planet will be if they live to old age. Certainly, I th- yeah. I
1: feel like yeah, he's got some some interesting things. Some that that, that face has got some interesting miles. That's, <laughs> okay, that's all I'm saying. Sure uh where the fuck were we uh my last point in my note said guyliner oh yes uh gilly's upset that sam sam takes her down into some sort of secure storeroom buried deep at castle black or maybe even underneath the wall he says you'll be safe for now here uh and then he goes to leave and she's all pissed like you can't leave me and he goes that's what men do baby grabs her for a kiss he promises her that he'll never die.
0: Well, okay. So we like to get a little uh, hyperbolic and say that he promises he'll never die. What he promises is that he won't die before he sees her again. Really, right? Yeah, but that's still not a promise you can make with. It's certainly not. And he, the problem... he takes the wrong giant's
1: arrow, and he's a dead man before he even hits the ground. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. There's nothing he can do to carry out that promise. Right. Um, That's the problem I have with the very end of this scene is the promise he makes because he has just told her how important these promises and vows are to him. Mm -hmm. I will not break my oath. I will stay here and I will fight with my brothers. But I'll promise you also something that I can't possibly guarantee. Man, people do that all
1: the fucking time though. Marriage is a similar promise. I'll just go out and say- I
0: I know, but- I promise I will always
1: leave you and I'll never leave you. Meanwhile,
0: what's the divorce rate in this country? Sure. Sure. Like 50%? I'm, I'm saying you don't come from telling someone how important your promises are to making a promise you know you can't keep, and they know you can't keep. But I think that's the thing. It's kind of like just a tip, baby. <laughs> oh, Jesus. To the extent that that
1: works on anyone, uh-huh. I, ha- I mean, to the extent that that's a real thing that happens, mm. that both parties have to know that it's a bullshit pretext, and they both have to want both people it's like you know if you let a man yeah, put the tip I of your penis it. inside your vagina or anus if you're another man, that's the understanding that it's Or not, your nose it's or your nose, your ear canal, sure, yeah, a little shinshi shinchi if you, I think if you're you will. a little narrow minded in your sexual views Aaron. I just broadened it. I just <laughs> wrenched my mind open uh, but I feel like that both parties kind of go in knowing that it's not uh, gonna be just a tip, right uh, yeah.
0: I want to put a disclaimer on this. I'm not totally certain that I agree with you here, uh, and it, this could no, j- be just offensive a tip. to some people. The just a tip is a farce.
1: It's it's it's. I can't believe
0: it. Clearly is.
1: I can't believe there's men that use it. I can't believe there's women that believe it. And I feel like that that must be. It's like you know, if you're a nice girl and you're you want to have sex because that's the way women are. They want to have sex. Surprise, surprise. What? But you're raised in a society where the patriarchy and other things have taught you that that's bad you both kind of need this emotional fig leaf to proceed with things. And maybe that's kind of like this type of lie, that like, okay, well, if it's it's what you want to hear, it's what I want to believe, and if it doesn't come true, well, I'm dead. Then it doesn't matter, yeah. And it doesn't matter.
0: Or at least to him, it'll definitely matter to her. Right. That's the thing, he's also putting all of this baggage on her. Like, if he dies out there after promising he won't die, well, he broke his promise, and she has to blame herself somewhat for letting him go and like there's a lot of shit that she's gonna have to deal with if he doesn't come back not to mention the you
1: know eventual 100,000 wildings that you think are gonna come pouring through there's that yeah because it doesn't seem like there's anything the black brothers can do to keep this going for maybe another night maybe another two
0: uh I don't know. Their only weakness, the only weakness here is that tunnel, right? I mean, if they had sealed that tunnel, there is no way this army but gets across to that to wall. it's too late to seal the tunnel. It is too late, yes. So now it feels like they need to leave a couple of dudes with some big boots up on the wall so that when these guys try to climb it stupidly, they can just kick, them, put the boot on their face and kick them back down the wall. Like, this is the easiest thing to defend, but they're, right?
1: But there are people dying every night. Now, probably, you know, now that they've got this one invasion from the south beat back, it won't be as yeah. many people dying. But it's clearly a war of attrition.
0: They just need to protect that tunnel.
1: Well, but the, the, I think that's short-sighted because, like, wh- if Mance, like, on phase two of the invasion, he can send— a thousand guys, a mile up the wall this way, and a mile up the wall sure. that way. You all climb it, and then you cut meet like a, a hammer and an anvil in the middle, and just make salsa out of the black
0: rose. Sure, no, he needs to do that. He needs to use some fucking tactics. So I'm saying there's the nothing. The way he did it this time was dumb. Yeah, but it's a probing action, and it almost worked. You know, I can waste a thousand guys, not a problem. That's... Let's just throw a grand uh, worth of can. troops
1: at the wall. We're getting ahead of ourselves slightly. <laughs> we are. Uh, Pip and Sam talk about courage because we know Sam's famously a coward but he did manage to kill the white walker and what do you think of his rationale behind that
0: uh him being nothing having nothing to lose and
1: so that in the moment you know it's like what else are you' gonna do you sure. can either curl up and piss yourself and die anyway or you can yeah find whatever it is inside yourself that you know the essential truth that none of us are anything we're all just a film of dust on a film of dust on a fucking Rock hurling through space. So what does it matter anyway? Might sure. as well take a piss and stick this piece of glass in a White Walker. Sometimes magic happens.
0: Yeah. Well, his Sam his, said his... just the tip,
1: White Walker. <laughs> this is the tip it won't this go any glass. further. <laughs> uh, with tragic results.
0: Who? What is his friend's name here? The one who gets shot through the neck with an arrow? Pip. Pip. So he tells Pip this story about the uh, White Walker and killing it and his reason for going after it is because it was attacking Gilly, and if she was gone, he had nothing. Right. He was nothing. Right. Uh, and that very much plays into how he acts once she comes back. It felt like that steeled him for this battle. Okay.
1: Yeah, it does seem like he's talking on both sides of his mouth, or maybe he's it's a, a different type bit. of courage. There's the yeah. fight-or-flight courage, and then there's the, now I have something to protect. I'm going this with my eyes wide open sober yeah. type of courage
0: sure he had something to protect in both instances the same thing but he did it for uh differently each time at any rate now is the time the
1: wildings decide it's right to attack the ones from the south uh and they start uh screaming and heading over yeah. up on the wall we see there's Let's the crow the uh wildings are starting to assault from they're starting to a, a, a approach and uh Alistair gives them a little taste of some Flaming Arrow. It doesn't do much but kill a few of them. But then they hear a second yeah. horn, and they realize there's an attack coming from the, the south. And I think this, key is a, this shot is key to understanding geography of the battle because they do this kind of like swooping crane uh-huh. shot where it falls off the edge of the wall and goes all the way to the bottom, and you can see Castle Black. There's a lot of emails um, because – you know, opinions are divided about whether you enjoyed this episode. And I don't think anyone hated it, but there's a lot of nitpicking, more so than n- normal. And one of the common nitpicks were, why the fuck do you have such an obvious weak point? This castle is not designed to withstand an attack from the south. That's actually a historical fact. That makes sense, yeah. That um, that in the, the mists of time, a couple of the Black Brothers got a little too big for the britches. And became like kings under their own right with this massive military force they had up here. Mm -hmm. And they used to have more impressive southern fortifications, but that actually worked. So when the lords of Westeros Mm -hmm. went to wage war against the, the Night's Watch and put this rebellion down, it's like, this is bullshit. Uh, you're we're fighting our own men and all this. So from that point on, it became customary for the Night's Watch not to be allowed to set up heavy fortifications. They so have castles, but with very little outer walls and defensive. I mean, it's it's just rudimentary.
0: Yeah, that's no King's Landing for sure. It's no,
1: so <laughs> it it definitely bites them in the ass here because it's just not designed to withstand an attack from the south. The south.
0: And that that makes sense, right? The, conceivably, the whole reason they built it was To protect against things from the exactly. north exactly coming down to the south so you can't you can't slide them from that uh so
1: anyway, Alistair sees that says holy shit, I gotta get down there because anybody can say knock draw and hold and f- release yep uh, gives that job to Janna Slint goes on down and gives this hundred generations to defend this castle. I promise you if you fight that it will be standing tomorrow and uh, goes into ass kicking mode.
0: Yeah, maybe lets his speech go on a little long, lets a bunch of guys get in through this tiny hole they could easily defend. Right. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so it is. got to give the people a proper motivation. Or with they me now, fight. now with me.
1: <laughs> At the present time, you should be with me in the future as well. Here they come,
0: boss. Should we do anything?
1: <laughs> you are with me, are you not? That's right. Uh, yeah, it's several different ways to say that. I thought it was a pretty impressive speech, and he backs it up. You know, and yes. I think that's what the Night's Watch responds to strength. Uh,
0: a lot of badass stuff in this episode, no doubt. And Alistair is one of them.
1: Uh, speaking of badass stuff, the mammoths and the giants swing oh. into action. These mammoths ride giant, or the yeah, the mammoths ride the giants. The giants it's, they take turns. It they flip the coin. It's the mammoth's <laughs> turn to be rid today. So the yeah. giant is riding on the mammoth, but it doesn't look like he. It, it's you know, I mean, that mammoth looks like a large dog compared to. The giant. Oh, gotcha. Like, if you were like, like to the giant, ride could just a could get up on his tippy toe, and the, the mammoth could just sl- sidle up right underneath him.
0: It's a, yeah, kind of. They're both just huge things. Sure. Uh, before we get too far away from this, I wanted to say one thing they did that was kind of, I guess, foreshadowing for Egret not wanting to kill uh, John when she had the mm-hmm. chance is that when they say, let's go have some crow or eat crows or whatever they say when they get ready to attack. She's got a look on her face like she's not totally sure she wants to do this because maybe she doesn't know if she can kill John if she finds him. That's that was kind of my take on it.
1: Oh, totally. No, she's a conflicted woman.
0: But and they make a point of showing that.
1: And and yeah, and it ends up and it ends up killing her too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's this one point and I stopped taking really detailed notes and just started writing highlights because wow, for the battle. How, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's this one point in the battle where it seems like a Jon Snow lookalike. Um, a black brother not quite as dreamy, but nearly as dreamy <laughs> as Kit Harrington uh, wanders into her sights and she kinda of briefly hesitated there too. Oh. Hmm. I thought that was another foreshadowing that there's gonna be some, some problems. Uh-huh. Uh anyway, the mammoths swing into action and they, two giants and a mammoth come up, they hook up their uh big rope and iron hooks to the to the cold rolled steel Mm-hmm. I've gave him very small chance of success because I don't feel like you can pull down something that's four inches steel thick with like a half inch steel hook.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, You
1: need something of size appropriate for the job, giant man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some on... chains instead of some half frozen hemp rope would, yeah, be, yeah. would be called for.
0: Maybe. Well, it's clear that they didn't even have enough strength to break that rope. So they're not getting through the wall, through yeah. the gate.
1: Yeah. And again, it's like, I guess the things are disappointing in when I see this is I I just feel like it wouldn't. So they're rendering all this stuff is all CG or the most of it's all composited. Would it kill them to have like some kind of siege work that they pushed up to the wall? Because they had to have Mm -hmm. like there's just arrows pouring down and raining down. But you'll notice that when the giants are down there at the gates fucking around, there's hardly anything. There's like maybe yeah. three flaming arrows that hit. There there should be a hail of stuff. And they eventually yeah. drop the barrels and stuff. But I'm thinking these guys should have never been able to get to the wall. There's only, what, 12 dudes, a mammoth, and two giants. Yeah. They should not have been able to get to the wall being pelted with all the shit that the Night's Watch could pelt them with.
0: Yeah, I imagine it's pretty hard to hit somebody looking down 500 feet, though. I don't know. On the other hand, you can just drop things off
1: and it'd be lethal. Like, I don't even know they needed to have the guys winched out standing against the wall with the arrows. You could just, Mm -hmm. like, drop an arrow down, and it's (laughs) going to do lethal damage when it hits. Yeah, or rocks if you're trying to knock
0: guys off a wall.
1: But if they got a mammoth, why wouldn't they, like, tow some big kind of, like, wooden shed that they could push up against the gate that would believably buy them protection from some of the shit? The fact that they didn't Uh even try, Uh and I know it was just a probing action you know, whatever Mance didn't expect to break through on this round, but you know the giant was strong enough to lift up the gate. What if they had teams that had something that they could just prop? You know, two by fours yeah. or
0: something they could prop underneath the gate and <laughs> two two by fours, yeah, under the four inches of cold rolled steel. I, you know, wood's compression <laughs> resistance
1: is quite impressive. I, I maybe not two by four, but okay. four by four post. There you go. <laughs> Uh, the Giants could have, like, grabbed the log or jammed it up there. I mean, True. I just feels yes, like a, that's the kind of thing that's bugging me. It's like all nitpicky stuff where I'm like, I, I just don't understand why they would assault the wall. Why would they bother trying to climb the wall?
0: Climbing the wall is the most insane thing because even if you make it to the top... What are you going to do? You're going to be jello. You. Your arms are going to be... Yeah. Loose leaf tea just flailing in the wind. <laughs> right. You're gonna climb a four hundred foot high
1: ice wall and then do battle at the top. Not gonna happen. And if you wanted to do that plan, the, the plan would the, the plan would have been to send them a couple hours ago so they all and I maybe that's the point that Janice was trying to make. These are undisciplined and unorganized and they're wildings and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. their commander's not their yeah. commander's not an idiot. He's one of the black brothers. He would know how to hit these guys the best anyway. Yeah. So it's like,
0: yes, it was epic, but could it have been more epic? Could it have been more believably epic? I mean, they're going to take it more epic. They've got to take it more epic, either next episode or early next season. One of the two. I don't know which they're going to go with, but they've got to. I mean, they have 100,000 troops out there. There's no way this doesn't get more epic. So the epic stuff, like the giant
1: firing his arrow was fucking awesome. really fucking cool. Yeah. And I like seeing that. Uh, I like the brutality of the fight, the like the eye gouging and screaming that's happening <laughs> below. That mean mm. it feels like medieval combat. Egret is a total badass. She is straight up murdering fools. Yeah. I mean, I would say that she's probably right that she has the highest body count of any of them going this battle. She's just like every half second killing some guy. Sure. Uh I loved when they stormed the Night's Watch mess hall that the, the cooks were there with their boiling water and their oh giant God.
0: fucking meat cleavers. <sighs> Taking heads off. Ugh. Right.
1: Um, and I, you know, Pip gets to finally make a kill right before and kind of triumph a little bit. And Sam had a funny thing. He was like, Oh, is the battle over? And Pip's like, No. He's like, Well, then. And he reloads a crossbow, hand it to him, gets shot in the throat. Uh, and him and Sam have a nice little moment. I mean, this probably means a lot more to book readers than it does to show watchers. It meant almost nothing
0: to me. Grin, who's the
1: big, tall, bearded dude that holds the gates, and Pip, who's the guy who gets shot through the throats, they're like, you know, they're the guys that got inducted to John. They've been through a lot together. They're a lot more fleshed out, realized characters. Hmm. Uh, and also, point of fact, they're still alive in the books, so it's rather shocking to see these big names get kind of slaughtered here yeah in the name of uh amping up the emotion of the battle, so what else we're gonna talk about this um with what do you mean this like the battle in general? I'm trying to get my bearings about where we are in the battle, like right now, the giants have got their cables so the giant deployed. gets killed one of them uh either. You know, it doesn't look like they got the shit to actually get that job done. Uh-huh. Uh, John sends Grin below to defend the inner gates because he knows how important that that is. It, you know, I guess John's writing off the outer gates and saying, you know, we got to get to the inner gates to defend.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, Alistair and Torment Giant Spain kind of have a mini epic fight here in the middle of the battle. Uh, that was really well choreographed. Uh-huh. Uh, you could tell that, like. Alistair, Sir Thor, uh, Sir Alistair is slightly better trained, has slightly better like footwork and movement, but sure. the you know Tormund is just a beast, yeah. and he's hard yeah. to deal with. Uh, gets his groin cut and uh, has to fall back. Uh, Sam goes back up to speak with John. He also gives a little pep talk with Ollie, who's the little kid that get, his parents got slaughtered in the village, and he's the best bowman in his village. Uh-huh. Says you got to get you got to get up and fight Ollie, which then condemns at to death. <laughs> uh, stop me if you get to anything here. Uh, we got flaming oil drums that get dropped. You know, f- first we had uh, barrels full of rocks, and uh, those things b- went off like bombs after being dropped from such a height. Now we got, uh, you know, basically Molotov barrel tails being <laughs> dropped off. One of them explodes on the wall and kills God knows how many uh, Black Brothers. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, that's bad news. Uh, the other one. Did- Blast off right next to a giant. Giant doesn't care. Yeah. Giants are the off. honey
1: bo- badgers of the north. They just don't give a shit.
0: Yeah, I was surprised to see how much damage a giant can take. I don't know that you could kill a giant with human-sized arrows.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good point. I think later on in the battle when uh, one of them is breached and is heading towards the inner gate, they mentioned that you could. I think you could stick with 20 arrows. Or maybe they said he had been stuck with 20 arrows and it made no difference. <laughs> yeah, maybe I so. I buy that. Uh, one of those big jobs, was I think they call a scorpion, it's like the big winch-mounted crossbows that throw spears from the top of the wall, huh. manages to impale one, and that sends the other into a fucking rage.
0: Yeah, and goes for the door.
1: In the books, the guy that breaches the wall is named Magda Mighty, and he's kind of um, one of the biggest, strongest, toughest elders of the giants, and uh, he goes on a rampage, similarly like he does here on the screen. <laughs> Um, at this point, John says, uh, tells his friend, Ed, uh, Dolores, Ed, that you have the wall and, uh, the keep dropping stones and he mentions a scythe to them too. Uh, we then go below into the middle of the, the ice wall where grin is preparing his troops for the last stand. They, you know, it's a pretty stirring scene where they recite the, uh, night's watch oath as a yeah. single angry giant is, is smashing through the
0: gates that was fairly badass i i thought like the entire time i was watching that the first time i was like shoot some arrows do something yeah like you see him coming hurt him uh then i kind of got to thinking about it "Eh, you probably can't hurt him that bad from outside the thing and it was kind of badass that they were psyching themselves up like that i like where it cut away uh a really good scene really good scene
1: I've got some criticisms of this scene as well, but there's a reader that has a really excellent breakdown. I'm going to save that to the feedback section. Okay. Uh, But anyway, that's Grin's last stand. Uh, We see uh, as as John and Sam and a couple other black brothers are descending in the big basket. He gives Sam a key to go sell. Uh, which is going to, you know, the dire wolf gets loose and he starts, he just basically takes out a single fin.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: He's like, you know, I haven't been fed in like three days, so if you don't mind, boss, <laughs> I'm going to tear this guys throat out and eat some entrails. Yeah. Uh, still haven't seen a dire wall, wolf just rampage.
0: Yeah, there, that wasn't a rampage. I want to see some a...
1: Shinobi 2
0: style action where just these wolves are just plowing through things. I, I do like the thin commander or leader. I I don't know what to call him. But he is pretty badass. The one who fights with John.
1: Yeah, I think in the books he's called Steer or Magnar or something like that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, he's a he's a massive dude. Number one. Yeah, uh, just a really big dude, and he's fighting with like a cross between a giant Morningstar and a double-bladed bat- two-handed great axe. Yeah, and again, it's kind of like a similar Tormund the to, the to, to, you know, versus. Sir Alistair, John versus this uh, thin guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I liked a couple other things. Like the fact that John just can't wait to get into the fight. Like they're still 10 feet off yeah. the ground, and he does this kind of like commando role and comes up like the Tasmanian devil with the Valerian steel blade in his arms.
0: Sure. I, I think he knows he's the best fighter there and that these guys really need him.
1: Sure. And they, they go into this kind of true defect, the true detective money slash brag shot where it's a good 60 second single take whirling all around showing off the fact that this is a real set with real people i mean i'm sure they did a lot of digital compositing and stuff but it looked like a million bucks it probably cost 10 times that much probably
0: yeah it was badass Um, a lot of badass stuff in this
1: out of all the single tracking shots we've seen in these seasons who did the best one true detective fargo or
0: game of thrones true detective without a doubt. Why? uh it was the first one i saw for one (laughs) yeah uh which makes it automatically more impressive uh it was technically more impressive in this one all they do is kind of spin the camera in the middle of this open courtyard Mm -hmm. with true detective they go inside of houses there's a lot more going on around him
1: oh yeah it's basically a running battle through a neighborhood yeah and it sticks with them for, like, four minutes,
0: maybe In, five. Into houses, out yeah. into yards, into yeah. other houses, around fences. Like The degree of difficulty yeah, was pretty high for yeah, that shot. Without a doubt. And then the Fargo tracking shot was just, you know, very, like, really, really easy to pull off. Yeah. So technically very unimpressive. But stylistically very impressive.
1: Yeah, I'd probably, rate him, I'd probably rate him True Detective, Game of Thrones, Fargo. Probably, yeah. On difficulty and probably artistic... Maybe maybe Fargo above Game of Thrones for artistic. Yeah, maybe so. So uh, we got that, um, the brutal fight between Jon and uh, Another problem with that, if you show your star getting his teeth bounced into <laughs> a blacksmith's anvil, uh-huh. he better not have nice,
0: white, straight, shiny teeth the next time I see him. Trouble is... You then lose your Game of Thrones heartthrob. Who are the ladies going to root for, if Jon Snow has no teeth? I get that, but I don't. I feel like then don't show his head
1: getting bounced into a yeah. steel, immovable object. I'm with you. There's a lot of ways you can inflict pain other than that because I I gotta you know it'd be like someone gets their nose cut off and the next scene their nose is back. <laughs> That's bullshit, man. This guy's like. Uh, like we said, the, if, if the mountain punched Oberyn's teeth out, mm-hmm. there would be teeth on the floor with this impact to the to the uh, anvil. Certainly, yeah. Kit Harrington's smile would not have been as pretty. Uh, he still got his ass though.
0: <laughs> oh boy, do I ever! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, we got uh, uh, a face off with egret uh, uh it's funny because a lot of people saw the, the parallel between this that John hesitated to kill her and that spared her life she ended up being able to run off and, and get back with her people she hesitated to kill him which ended up uh, saving him and well and dooming her as well uh, because the little kid from the village kills him and they have this weird head nod where he's like yep saved your ass John and John's like feelings <laughs> uh egret uh rallies enough to say you know nothing john snow and then that's pretty much it
0: how you weren't connected very much to egret and john almost not at all in retrospect i understand a little bit more i guess why egret shot john why she was unable to kill john here it makes a lot of sense but it doesn't do much for me in the feels you right know? It's like, I I don't, these are tangential characters. Jon Snow is, at this point, has only become a character for me this season. It's like, Mm -hmm. all this shit happened to Jon way before I gave a shit about Jon, either way. So, now I don't give a shit about the stuff that happened to him back then.
1: Also, like, you know, Romeo and Juliet is compelling, but not if it was set in the Game of Thrones universe. (laughs)
0: Like, I get your
1: shit's torn up about this, but... Oberon just got his head split open. The Starks were all murdered and wiped off the map. Sure this
0: is pretty if it's getting feels, killed in the heat of battle is not surprising. Like
1: this is the emotional centerpiece for m- almost any work of fiction or movie that you'd go see like the fact that you know boy meets yeah. girl boy loses girl, boy accidentally gets on the wrong side of girl in the battle and she gets killed. That's like the fucking high watermark for most pieces, but this is like the low laying <laughs> fruit for Game of Thrones. That's true. They've set the bar pretty high. So it's like I, if I'm gonna give a fuck about John, uh, Rob, and Oberon and Ed, mm-hmm. by definition, I almost can't give a fuck about John or Egret because I, 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 just you know, there's people that say that, and there's several of them, men and women, that wrote in and said they, they teared up when, when Egret died.
0: Wow. How do you watch? The, what are you torturing yourself on a weekly basis watching <laughs> the show? Uh John has definitely come into his own, and I would care about what happens to John going forward. Yeah, it's just the Egret was not a part of John's new character very much in my mind. He became a character once he got away from Egret. Like, did the stuff that he had to do, came back, tried to warn the Nights Watch about the problems. People weren't listening. Kind of took matters into his own hands a little bit, and now he's a real character. Uh, so when he leaves at the end of this episode, I'm very curious to see how that turns out. And it would be tragic if he died at this point, mm-hmm. but I don't really care about Egret. Sorry. <laughs> right.
1: Um. We talked about how you know, patently ridiculous the idea of men scaling this wall is mm-hmm. in the heat of battle. It does pay off in a rather gruesomely awesome scene where Ed gives the order to drop the scythe, and yeah, yeah. they fucking do. It's this giant chain-bladed <laughs> thing. The The chain looks like barbed wire, too.
0: Oh, boy. And it
1: just sweeps the whole front of the wall clean. Yep. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, all these guys were in the swath of the main blade proper, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You would have been knocked off the wall no matter what. And it's horrific. Yeah. Um so that was pretty cool. A lot of people thought that that might be a nod to uh, us book readers because the climax of the Black Battle of Blackwater wasn't just a wildfire, but Tyrion had a chain made that was the length of the bay, and it was submerged, and as soon as Stannis's fleet came in, it came up to, like, three foot above the water, <laughs> so that once they were in there and the wildfire went off, none of those boats could escape. Wow. They tried, like, backwater and get out, and nope, they were all caught in that conflagration.
0: Smart Tyrion.
1: That was eliminated from the, the show, and a lot of people were like, well, that's kind of horseshit, because it was kind of like Tyrion's masterstroke. Okay. I wonder or people wonder if this wasn't, you know, kind of an unnecessary chain thrown in as a nod to the book reader. It's like you want your chain that turns the tide of the battle. Here's your fucking chain. (laughs) So a bunch of monkeys. Chain not in the book? No, this side thing is not in the book.
0: Huh. Okay. It's
1: badass. It's cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, when it first happened, I thought he said drop the side like that. The wall had detachable sheets (laughs) of ice that they could just pull and the whole fucking thing falls off. I'm like. Well, this is better. That's that's, that's yeah, that, that's, I that's like a that's a one use, brutal, thing. but it's kind of short sighted. You can't yeah. pop that, but this thing you could just you know winch back up and do it again. Yep, anyway. Um, surely nobody tried to climb the wall after that,
0: though. I wouldn't think so. No, it's like, hey, I, I got to the part where there's just a streak of
1: blood and the hand sticking out of the wall. I I <laughs> I, I, I gotta turn back, boss. Uh, we see the torments finally, the bat, the, the fighting, and the uh. The downstairs portion of the wall and Castle Black has has died down. Mm-hmm. It's just basically Tormund with about three arrows sticking out of him, uh, about to lose consciousness from lack and, of lack of blood. But he's not going to go down easy. John ends up shooting him in the leg of the crossbow and uh, starts his career as a guard in Skyrim. <laughs> oh Jesus!
0: Okay. No, he uh,
1: slaps him in chains. <laughs> They're going to interrogate him, presumably next episode.
0: Yeah, which is worse than death for him, right? He doesn't want to be interrogated and. And kept alive, he wants to die gloriously in battle. I think for a wildling to be captured by what they
1: call referred to as kneelers, people south of the wall are kneelers, hmm. uh, and held captive. Yes, I would imagine that would be a fate worse than death for a wildling.
0: He's like a Klingon, essentially. Sure, okay,
1: a, a, a more fair skinned, red haired, let slightly non-turtle less glued, ridges non turtle glued to the forehead Klingon. Sure, yeah, okay, uh. We have uh, Sam and Gilly being joyfully reunited, and also, uh, I think I skipped over this in a part, when Janos got chucked off the wall, uh, sadly, not literally, Creden <laughs> said he was just wanted blow, and he decided to take that to fuck off from the battle and, and lock himself in Gilly's hidey hole.
0: Speaking... Okay, so there's a couple things I want to say. I want to go back real quick to okay. uh, Tormund. Uh, he That line that John has as he's walking away is just awesome. The pure Awesome. Uh, where Tormund is like, I should have thrown you off the wall. Yeah. He's like, yes, you should have. There's I. Yeah, no, that's, I that's awesome. Awesome.
1: I, I like that, too. john has got a lot of that, uh, I've done plenty wrong and stuff uh, this season. <laughs> sure. Uh, maybe they're just giving him better badass one-liners.
0: And he's better at delivering them. I don't know that he could have done this in season one or two.
1: Yeah. He's, he's filled out. Yeah. He's filled out as a man. Uh, what do you think is going to happen
0: with the Slint here? Slinty, Squinty, Slinty. I don't know. He seems like they need everyone at the wall that they've got, right. but he's too cowardly—not even to fight, but to command. Like he's not even willing to give orders up there on the wall. Well, did you notice the difference between like him and
1: John and uh, Alistair and God, even Ed giving commands versus his? This is just organized rabble, and you know, there's no—he's uh-huh. like almost trying to psych himself out. Yeah. Rather yeah. than worrying about the men around him and
0: the men around him could tell that. They
1: sure. Looking pretty which doubtful.
0: Makes him ineffective. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what they do with him. I don't know if he gets punished for leaving the wall. I don't know if. What do you want? To see I-, I could happen? see that happening. Um, I guess I want to see him some repercussions for him leaving the wall, leaving okay. his post.
1: Some repercussions. I'll put you down for some repercussions. Be- beheading?
0: Is that a, a fitting repercussion?
1: <laughs> is that the repercussion you want to go with? I'm just making an official note here. That's all. Uh,
0: I feel like Alistair Thorne, who's been slashed about the groin, should stand up, walk up to this guy, and dress him down in a violent manner. Give him a groin slashing? Say, also this not is prohibited
1: what... by the Night's Watch vows.
0: <laughs> no, that's true. But, but I mean, the fact that he went down there and he took a knife to his dick, and this guy hid in a lower cavern, like, this is bullshit. Yeah. And Alistair Thorne should tell him so and show him so.
1: Yeah. It would be funny if Gilly was, like, giving it to him the whole time, too.
0: <laughs> you know him with my not-quite-boyfriend,
1: fat-coward Sam that you're always making fun of? He's out there fighting and you're cowering in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So in light of day, a lot of Black Brothers have died, uh, but they did. They did hold the castle for one day. Uh, John decides he's going to go out and find Mance and kill him in single combat.
0: What do you think about that? Good idea, bad idea? John Sam himself says it's,
1: says it's a bad plan. Sure, okay. But what plan do you got? What so? That's what, a thing, yeah. Uh, what do you think? It's uh, a good question. Uh, what do you think is going through John's mind? Like. If it's a bad plan, uh-huh. then at best you're depriving the wall of one of its best defenders and commanders left standing <laughs> that's worst, true. I hadn't thought of that at worst, all that happens, plus you die a horrible gr- gruesome death, and mm.
0: i i mean i so th- th- I think there are two things going through his mind here the first one, the least important one being we're all dead if I don't do this, if I don't find a way to end this battle, we can't survive it. The second, more important thing here is he just lost Egret, and we know we had the speech from Sam saying, "Oh, without Gilly, I have nothing." All that—that that also, I think—is what John is thinking at this point. Like, I've got nothing left to lose. I'm a dead man up on this wall. The only way to stop this thing is to go out there and do something stupid. But what do I care? I've got nothing.
1: Yep, booty is the death of duty, as Master Aemon said. <laughs>
0: Yeah, never put more booty.
1: He doesn't, you know (laughs) Nothing more to live for Yeah, The ginger minge has been taken off the menu Yep (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it's a bad plan But what's yours? They go out and just see Grin He held the gate Uh, That would have been an awesome battle to see Six black brothers versus one pissed off giant In a uh, Super tight ice corridor Barehanded too, I don't think that giant had a weapon on him Probably not, no but uh, is a probably something you could sing a song about, but we didn't mm-hmm. get to see it. Uh, then at the end, Sam says, tells John the promise to come back, and John gives that response the proper. Whether you hear someone wanting you to promise dying or they're wanting to just put the tip in, just give him a smirk and keep walking. That's yeah. Ron's official advice.
0: Yeah, I like that reaction.
1: Give him a smirk and keep watching. Yeah, sure, the tip. Maybe later. Keep, <laughs> I'm smirking and walking. <laughs>
0: Walking and smirking. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. I think people thought that I was more hard on this episode than I actually was in the instant cast. No, I got a lot of those types of emails disappointed that you didn't like the episode. And they lump me with you. That's the problem. Because you were definitely more (laughs) negative. (laughs) Than I was in the instant cast, and people just glom onto that. And They say, "You, I can't believe how negative you guys were." I'm it's like, payback for all the negative. It's
1: payback for all the times you've forgotten people's names and people you send in. I can't believe you guys can't keep the names straight. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'll bear that. Cr- I'll, 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 I'll put myself on that cross with Jim. Um, no, so I understand that. I mean, again, I probably even sounded more negative than I did. I like this episode; It's a good episode, but it is, I guess. I was thinking it was going to be a little bit more epic. And, you know, some sure. of the problems out of the battle were like, it, I understand when the budget's not there, but some of the things that just didn't seem like it would cost that much and, you know, take out the swinging side and spend it a little bit on making the even the probing scouting force a little bit more believable or have a hope that, you know, it seemed like a suicide mission, the way it was designed and played out in film. Mm-hmm. Spend the same amount of money, but just, you know, maybe spend a little bit smarter. Uh, and you know, some things like I did care. I do care about Sam and Gilly. Do you care about Sam and Gilly?
0: Uh, more than I probably should. Okay, I, I care about <laughs> Sam a lot. <laughs> I feel you on that, and by extension, I care about Gilly. Without Sam, no, I don't care about Gilly. Uh,
1: but you know, Egret and John never one I really connected with in yeah. in the books or in the series. That's and... really the
0: big thing that fell flat for me. This episode is. That, and that was supposed to be one of the emotional cruxes, uh, other than Sam, of this episode, so that part didn't hit me. It was sufficiently epic, I thought, yeah. though not quite as epic as Blackwater. That's a fucking high bar to jump over. Sure. So this was epic. Don't get me wrong. Many people
1: still say it's the best episode of Game of Thrones. I I agree. I don't know, man. I think it is. Uh Still, Over the Mountain and the Viper...
0: Yeah, when I when I did the rewatch, uh, Or over
1: to Laws of God and Men. I mean, there's been a lot of really good episodes this season. I feel like yeah. one of those has taken over.
0: Eh, maybe. They're close, but man, Blackwater was epic.
1: Plus the whole I mean, that's the thing. The whole build up of that season was to that. Sure. Whereas we had a little bit, you know, like, oh, it's gonna be ten a hundred thousand walker, but nobody's really taking it serious and, and the stakes. Into mm-hmm. this episode, really nothing has changed. We still have a hundred thousand yeah. walkers. We still have a whole lot less walk or not walkers wildlings. We still have a whole lot less black brothers on the other
0: side. Mm-hmm.
1: John's going out in the gates, but that's the only thing that's changed. So, and
0: even if everything had changed, even if the wall had fallen and a hundred thousand troops come rolling in, they're still miles and miles and miles away from anyone that I give a shit about. Right. right? I mean, I don't care if Ramsay and Roost die. Who cares? Yeah, that means they're the, the closest wildlings blowing through and
1: cleansing the north might
0: be a good thing. <laughs> that's a okay by me. Yeah. Uh, so, like. The imminent threat was the thing that made Blackwater so interesting and so cool. And the reactions is none of, of that like, either.
1: you know, how is Tyrion going to react? How is Joffrey going to react? How is uh, yeah, yeah. Cersei and Sansa? Mm-hmm. And even Shea fucking had a moment to shine. All those people we arguably care more about than anyone at the Wall except for maybe John. Maybe, yeah. And even then, a lot of those people are over John. Sure. So I don't think it's the fault of the episode, and, you know, it's not like they did a bad job. But even in the no. books, I just... Well, I would be uh, – I'm way more invested in Jamie and Brienne's relationship, which I think <laughs> half of which is in my head. Maybe. Than John and Egret's actual relationship. Yeah. And I don't know that that makes me a bad person. It's just the way I feel about it. Sure. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this episode in particular or should we get into a little bit pimp uh, light pimping? Yeah, let's do Heavy that. pimping on the way to feedback. Sure. We are proud to have Hover.com sponsoring our podcast. Let me tell you why. Hover makes registering and transferring domains easy and painless. And if you've ever experienced other registrars, you know that's hardly a universal experience. Confusing searches, bad interfaces, sneaky add-ons during the checkout process, these all can cost you money and leave you scratching your head. But Hover sees things differently. They only sell you what you need for a hassle-free, fair price. Security built in. Privacy included. And if you do manage to run into trouble, they have a no-wait, no-hold no transfer phone service. And that's a real live person, by the way. Not some automated press two to enter the seventh level of hell kind of crap other people call support. And best of all, by using our special promo code Castle Black, you can get ten percent off of your first order. That's Castle Black, all one word. So what are you waiting for? Get over to hover dot com today. We have been up to a lot of stuff here at Baldmove.com since we went full time. We've got complete coverage of the new Fargo show on FX, it's awesome. We're also covering 24, Live Another Day. Honestly, less awesome, but we're having a lot of fun with it. And starting this week, I'm doing Orange Is the New Black with a rotating all-star list of female co-hosters, co-hosts, including the because shows Amy, Up your Downstairs is Kelly, and Project Fandoms Nina. Uh, just recorded the podcast for the first episode of Nina this afternoon. In fact. Had a great time. Check out all that stuff and more at BaldMove.com. Of course, we appreciate all your support. There's several ways you can do that. First of all all, is Subbable.com slash BaldMove. It's a voluntary subscription site. Pay us whatever you think is fair, and you can take those bucks and bank them for valuable and exciting rewards. Check it out at Subbable.com slash BaldMove. And also, if you're on Amazon and you're not using our affiliate link, It's a damn shame because you can go to amazon.baldmove.com. Everything you buy using that link, it's no extra charge for you. There's no shipping, no extra handling. You get the great Amazon service, shipping, and support, and you send a little tiny piece of love our way, and it's how we pay the bills around here at Bald Move. Last but not least, you can't do any of that stuff. We appreciate you listening. Can you give us a rating review on iTunes? Can you send us some feedback? Last but not least, if you can't do any of that, there's two things you can do that cost you nothing but a teeny amount of time. One is rate and review us on iTunes if you think we're doing a good job. Two, tell a family member or a friend or a co about Bald Move. We would love to have them. We know what to do with them. Just send them our way. Okay, uh, feedback section. We got Taco. L. He wants to play the name game with us. Watchers on the wall are... Watchers of the Wall. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa there's, hey now. There's some cheating bullshit right in the first Some gerrymandering going on here. Uh, Mance Raider from the North, the Wilding Group from the South, and the Night's Watch.
0: They're all watching.
1: If we put the parentheses of in between Watchers <laughs> and Wall, then I think I'll have to give you that point. Uh. Uh, they want to know why didn't they let Ghost out earlier. I feel like that... Until Sir Alister and uh, fe- uh, Fell and Slint got out of the way, that John couldn't just disobey direct orders. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you going, Snow? I'm gonna go unlock my direwolf now. I mean, <laughs> they just don't, No one trusts the direwolf, but like John and his close friends. Yeah, pretty much. And it's kind of amazing that he's like, uh, you know, has a very finely de- uh, tuned friend or, friend or foe's sense, I guess, because he's able to just pick out the wildlings from the Black Brothers. Sure. By Synth, probably. Uh, also want to know, where's Maester Aemon in all this fighting? That's actually a pretty good question.
0: Uh, In the library.
1: Why yep. not? All right. And will Jon Snow tell Mance that the mission succeeded? Since Mance does not know that he was a double agent, Jon sh- could just go back in with the Wildlings. Ooh, that's a good point.
0: Hmm. He doesn't know that? I guess he wouldn't, right? They were yeah. on the south side of the wall before right.
1: they even knew that. right? Hmm. Unless there's a way that they could somehow get a warg message back. Uh, Crow, I don't I don't think they have that capability. Uh um, yeah,
0: I don't know. That's an interesting thought that I hadn't even considered. Just walk
1: up. Welcome welcome back, my lord. Knife. <laughs> um Michael P says I've incorporated notch draw loose into the finale of my lovemaking. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> But do you have a burly dude standing over your bed shouting it at you? Yeah. That's what takes it over the top.
0: And do you sometimes think that notch means loose? <laughs> right. And did you know? Are you called a fucking coont?
1: Um, Ron from South Carolina said, "Do you guys think the Mance army looked relatively small compared to Danny's unsullied army? I thought Mance army was over a hundred thousand.
0: Hard to tell. We it's just saw nine, the tip.
1: We saw. We just saw the tip. Yeah, that's all. Uh." I will say that there was a promotional poster for this episode where it was it was a shot from the wall looking down over to see a fire and all the campfires that dotted, and it looked a lot more epic than anything we saw in this episode. Okay. Uh, and I think it did a much better job at showing, like, you know, what 100,000 dudes would look like. a Cowboys Texas Stadium full of dudes would look like. Um, Mark M. said... Oh, this is the geography of the wall, uh, which we talked So, So I'm going to give you some dry pie there, Mark. Uh, Wash it down some Dornish wine. You'll be okay. Mike from New Jersey said, I saw three things in episode did visually that I don't think we've seen yet. The first was the awesome 43-second single cut, although likely green screen. I don't know because that is an actual set that's filmed in a quarry. It's hmm. a, a freestanding set, that whole practice yard. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they could spin around that, you and know, light it light it at night and and get a, a full 360 was surely there's probably some compositing and digital actors and stuff, but I bet a lot of that was physical. Uh, anyway, uh, when John knows nothing, John knows nothing. Snow gets to the bottom of the elevator. I can't think of a time when the show did a long action cut like that for the ultimate in single action cut. Look up the six minute drug raid from true detective, mm-hmm. which we talked about. Second, slightly stranger thing they did differently. This episode was a 42 style shaky cam zoom in looking down the wall right before they dropped,
0: the fucking awesome Pendulum of Death. That is a Battlestar Galactica shot if I've ever seen one. Yeah? Oh, yeah. You want zoom and shake? Watch <laughs> Battlestar Galactica.
1: Holy shit. That looked out of place on a show that seems to love the wide pan cinema style shooting. The third strange move is the fade to white closeout. I didn't like that at all. Um, all right. I mean, I think the third one, fade to white, was a nice, I don't know, you're walking through a dark tunnel and yeah. it's opposite of fade to black. HDR. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've got a light bloom. Yep. <laughs> uh, the second thing as far as shaky cam uh, I detest shaky cam I really hate like the Born Identity, Mission Impossible where you can't, I mean I like
0: show no action, action sequences. Yes yes,
1: yeah. I like to see the action you pay these guys to coordinate stunts and to fight them, then I fucking like would like to see and know what the hell's going on.
0: Yeah, it's Jackie Chan versus Matt Damon
1: <laughs> There you go, and I'll take Jackie every yep. day of the week and twice on Sunday
0: Pete says, I recently
1: rewatched The Blackwater, and it was great, but largely due to the drama in King's Landing and the amazing acting all around by Tyrion and Cersei. We got the Hound cutting a few people in two, Mm -hmm. Bronn torching the bay with one well-placed arrow, but the battle was nothing in comparison to this. Seeing the Wildling army and the Thin garrison of about 300, I would guess, penetrating and battling Castle Black was awesome. I love seeing Alistair in action versus Tormund, as well as Jon hammer the shit out of Big Bad Boss Thin. (laughs) <laughs> the battle has been one of the biggest slow burns in the show and I think it paid off. Now what to do about the other ninety-nine thousand. Um yeah. So his first statement I agree one 100- hundred wholeheartedly with.
0: Where does that first statement end for you?
1: Which is basically was great but largely due to the drama in King's Landing and the amazing acting all around by Tyrion and Cersei. Yes. That's also why I think it's better.
0: I agree. I also think that he's right that the battle part of this was better. At the wall. So, certainly. There wasn't there much wasn't, battle. Exactly. There, there was the thing in the bay, and then a couple of troops landed. Stannis, Tyrion got his face cut. Stanis
1: going up a ladder and throwing some guys off the wall, and then getting drugged yep. drug away screaming by his own troops.
0: Not much of that at all. Yep. This battle, pure battle, was better. Yes, I agree with that.
1: But I also think it's like eating a big bowl of vanilla ice cream at a certain point. Like, okay. Without being able to cut away to those interesting pieces of acting and character moments, and... I guess they tried to do that. It just mm-hmm. wasn't as good. Okay, it didn't hit, and not, not even it wasn't as good. It just didn't affect me as much. So yeah. that's all subjective. There's no right or wrong answer. I keep telling myself that <laughs> as the hate mail rolls in and I cry <laughs> myself to sleep. Rebecca D says Maester Amons scene didn't fully land for me. Uh, I think the show wanted to remind us who he was, but it was a strange time to do that. His reveal to John in season one made me shiver, but the reveal to Sam was more master Maester Aemon passed out. Pass on the throne family wealth and women to raise other people's dysfunctional whiny sons on an ice cube. That's crummy.
0: Hmm. So I like the aim and stuff in that it was trying to set a tone for this battle. Um, just They tried to set the same kind of despairing tone that they did in the Blackwater episodes. I just don't think they spent long enough on it, and I don't think the the characters were there for it. I think so, that's
1: the whole reason that's there, and they spend so much time with Sam is because the whole emotional backbone, yeah, was Sam and Gilly. That Sam was Gilly the and emotional Well, yeah, John and Egret, but that's yeah. that's it. You didn't have a whole city full of people and the fate of a whole kingdom and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, arguably, yeah, the wall falls, bad things happen.
0: But but if I'm really concerned about that, there needs to be like a city right on the other side of the wall that's going to be torched and they're going to go through raping and pillaging immediately. Yeah, like, whereas at currently, uh, Storm Winterfell, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, why Dreadful, not?
1: <laughs> fuck it up. The twins, fuck it up twice, harder. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's nothing. Like, you know, there's a bunch of bad guys in the north, and mm. they need to be taken care of. Sure. Um, moving on to Dan M. said, I was re-watching the show the other day while taking a tally of the members of the Night's Watch who died during the battle. Oh, he's got a, he's got a corpse count for us. Okay. Keep in mind that we don't see a lot of Egret's arrows where they end up, and it's sometimes hard to tell who's who, but the number I reached of total Night's Watch deaths confirmed on screen was 43. That would leave them... Whoa!
0: 43 brothers died?
1: Yeah. That seems believable to me. Whole... Because I was I thinking that the whole time how at all that many much. people Egret herself slaughtered. She
0: shot a lot of arrows, but I didn't think we saw 43 deaths. You gotta think of like That's every time shitload. that thin
1: guy swung his sword... Or swag his axe down, right into yeah. someone's mid—that's that's lethal. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that leaves us fifty-nine men. Then you take away John, who's gone on north. Thorne, who's injured. Master Eamon, who's eighty some years old. At the <laughs> sure. show, he's over hundred, but in real life, he's eighty uh, something. Wow, that's fifty-six. Then you have to imagine a few more who are injured. Oh, and one other thing: and the Maester Aemon, the girl Eamon was talking about, he has a theory. Okay, it's Lady Olenna Tyrell. Remember at the beginning of the season when she said he was she was betrothed to some Targaryen? You hm. never know. And she was also very forward. Came in, uh, sucked, the, uh, sucked the head of the dragon. <laughs> Just the tip. Just the tip. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like he's old too old. Like he mm-hmm. was a uh, you know he could have been a man in his twenties or thirties by the time she was born. Really? He's not, he's 102 years old I believe in the books.
0: 102. I do believe that's how old he is. I would not have guessed more than 70. In a world S- like that, I don't know how you live to 102.
1: Well, you know, it doesn't help unless that, you have
0: like elf blood or something.
1: It doesn't <laughs> hurt that you're the got the blood of the dragon and uh you're a maester. and I guess. Who knows all that stuff. Then
0: yeah, um, he's probably 20 years older than 20 to 30 years older than Yeah, that's Yeah, let
1: me check this age. Um the West wiki said that he's born in one ninety-eight and it's around three hundred in the book, so yeah, hundred and two years old. Jesus. Okay. Old and crusty as shit.
0: Yep. Old, old as crusty as a
1: hundred and two year old shit. Old like Yoda. But strong theory. Definitely uh when one hundred years
0: old you become look as good you not. Uh,
1: <laughs> stiff as tip yours? No, I I can't do that. Um <laughs> I don't have a good Yoda today. Laz says this episode is not without fault for sure. The episode is directed by Neil Marshall. uh, And the problem here is that maybe because the same director is back and the battle borrows so many beats from the Blackwater. Think about it. In the Mm. Blackwater, the battle is preempted by bells from the city and drums from Stannis' fleet. Here it was horns doing the same thing. Not just once, though, but over and over again throughout the fight. Secondly, again, it's a night battle, which says more about trying to hide budget restraints than being an aesthetic choice. But I hope that one day we'll see a large-scale battle under glorious sunlight rather than a late night for all.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't mind the night battles. I think that feels more epic.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, unless one person has a specific advantage during the day, yeah, why not? Makes it harder for people to see you coming
1: up the wall. Perhaps most significantly for me is when Egret was shot by Ollie the Kid. It was exactly the same camera shot as when Braun killed the guy on fire who was charging the hound into Blackwater. In the original camera mm-hmm. shot, it cuts to Braun looking like a boss and giving a little nod, which is fine because he's Braun, and it was a Braun pose. But this 10-year-old kid is not a badass warrior. In fact, he's a terrified child. Having him shoot Egret is fine, but then giving him the boss pose and nod just didn't work for me.
0: <laughs> well, he got a pep talk from Sam and then he knew that he did John a favor there, or at least he thought he did. Yeah, I, okay, I, I guess I'm with this you. This kid
1: went from plugging his ears and shitting his yeah. pants to giving the alpha male nod sure. to John after killing, you know, the ginger minge. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I feel there a little bit on that. A little bit, yeah. Uh, or I guess Laws could be a guy. I don't. I don't know. Laws? I don't know. I've never heard that name. Probably Loren, I probably just called it. It's so, it, sir or madam, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> With you now, I am. Tim from Australia. I do have a hard time buying right. that Janos Slint could be that useless and cowardly given that he rose to be leader of the Gold Cloaks in King's Landing. Huh. Apparently, he wasn't a knight before his grubby promotion by Cersei or Joffrey, so you'd think he must have risen through the ranks as a soldier or guard first. Do you think it would have been better if Mance had made an appearance in this episode? It may have given a face to the wildling horde north of the Wall. What? Let's take that last point. Okay. Could we have seen a shot of Mance Raider? Coming in looking like a badass, you know. When they the whole line of white uh, of the Wildlings advance, should we have seen him looking on
0: impassively? So if they were going to do that, they also have to make his tactics better. Otherwise, I think he's a joke.
1: Okay, we could do right? all those things. Yes, like, that's I'm, what, I'm with
0: you. I'm with you. I'm buying so this pitch now. The the tactics I could buy. You know, some one of his generals is like, Oh, go up there and hit this wall, try and get this gate down. Whereas he's like, God damn it, I said not to move. Did I say knock That's loose right. and draw? No. <laughs> or other way around. Did I say to fucking climb <laughs> <laughs> So I can't blame him on it. Had we they shown him, I could blame him. So I'm glad they didn't show him with the weak tactics that they displayed. Right on. Uh what do you think about his
1: opinion of Jano Slint?
0: Yeah. I don't know anything about his background. He says that he probably rose through the guard. Do you know anything about that? Do you know a history of Janos? I feel like they might have even mentioned this in the
1: show. That's one of the things that Tyrion threw in his face when he dismissed him to the wall. But this guy rose up the ranks more through taking bribes and being deceitful and greasing Mm. people's palms than he did because he was a good commander of men.
0: Yeah. And they definitely portrayed that vibe. So if that's the case, I think they got him right. Right. Uh, if he's supposed to be a soldier, they got him wrong. <laughs> um,
1: moving on to Sir Scott, the Mammoth Slayer. Uh, if we've been wondering where they've been spending the budget this season, Giants riding freaking mammoths, man. As I was watching, I did think that this was Michelle McLaren directing because the action was excellent, but Neil Marshall did well. Personally, John's storyline has been rather slow and I've always been anxious that the amount of time spent on or beyond the wall was time I could have been seeing Tyrion or my favorite pairing of Arya and the Hound, but this time... <laughs> Maester Eamon talking about his younger conquests and lost love. Jon taking command. Sam being awesome and finally kissing the girl. Ghosts getting out and ripping a wilding apart. Giants riding freaking mammoths. Grin saying the oath and holding the gate. Egret's dying breath. You know no, nothing, Jon Snow. Apparently, Sir Scott is over
0: the moon about this episode. Very satisfied. A lot of the stuff he likes, I like too. Same, same. Uh, he just doesn't say anything negative about it. Nathan P. said, Love the episode, but I have to completely
1: disagree with Jon Snow at the end. His idea to kill Mance Raider to end the war is ridiculous. Do you really think that the Wildlings would stop attacking if their leader was gone? The Night's Watch itself has proven that they don't need an official leader. The constant stream of people taking control of the archers proves this. The ragtag team of rapists and outcasts can manage to organize themselves. I'm sure that they're that the violent and vengeful Wild, Wildlings can do the same. Even if Jon manages to kill Mance, another Wildling would just take his place, resulting in just an even more angry and united enemy. So,
0: small exception with that. The Night's Watch is fighting for their fucking lives. Their fucking lives. Uh, coots! they don't have a choice but to continue this battle. Whereas Mance's army doesn't have that same impetus. They're not right. facing sure, certain death if they don't fight back. Right. So, if they kill Mans, do they still have the motivation to even try and get through this wall? What's, what's the point for them? Also, they're, then, just, they're tired of not having the shit that the South has, right?
1: And this is their culture, too. Their culture is very much, we do our own thing and fuck you for trying to tell us otherwise. They're almost always, okay. you know, even though there's tons of people and they could have been a threat to the Night's Watch at any time, mm-hmm. they weren't until Mans, who supposedly just badass warlord, was able to unite all of them. And I do yeah. think that if they did kill Mance, it's not like they would all just go home no. and, like, cry. But I'm what would him. happen is kind of like what tore the Mongol Empire apart, that people would fight and be like, well, I'm the leader. It's like, fuck, you're not the leader. I'm the leader. And the giants and the thins yeah. and the Hornfoots and everybody else would fight, and it would just disintegrate into chaos that way.
0: Yeah, they'd certainly be less efficient.
1: So I feel like that's you know, and, and the Mongol Empire is a very good example. Like they were unstoppable when they're united, uh, by, beyond a single leader. Yeah. Whenever there was a problem with that leadership or transition, they completely ineffective. Uh, and very similar model. I mean, a bunch of disorganized tribes based on family alliances and units, all that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Dan, <laughs> Don't Carlin, to Dan Carlin, I'm yeah. going to suck him off right now. <laughs> He's satisfied. <laughs> Didn't violate my vows in the Night's
0: Watch, and we can move on. Dan Carlin, never just a tip. Never it's all or nothing for it's him, four man. hours of podcast coming <laughs> down your
1: throat. Ben G, why aren't giants a bigger deal in the Game of Thrones universe? Imagine an army of 1,000 giants. Even 10 mm. or 20 giants would be hell to deal with. Why isn't a giant sitting on the Iron Throne? How intelligent are giants supposed to be? It seems
0: odds that giants play no part in this Game of Thrones. All good questions. I think a giant army would be super formidable. Giants, maybe I don't know. Obviously, they're not on the throne, so there's something holding them back. Well, that's so, that's so. This is a
1: a fantasy trope. The fact that like man is unstoppable. They're not sure. They're not that impressive physically. They don't have any particular magic talents. But you unloose leash, unloose them, <laughs> unloose them on a continent. And they, mm-hmm. you know, you got children of the forest who can warg and green sea and fucking sunder a continent in half. They fucking steamroll them. You got giants and mammoths and shadow cats and grump- grumpkins and all the other things. Mm-hmm. They just outproduce and outthink and outfuck you into a, an, an early grave. And I feel like that's, that's exactly what's happening here.
0: It makes me think that giants are quite scarce. Yeah, I mean like think about it. Maybe they've got ten more. Right. Like really, really endangered species
1: level scares. <laughs> right. Right. And they and, and think about it, just just imagine that a giant like an elephant, maybe they're got a twenty four month gestation period. Sure. You know, you can pop out three men for every one giant
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, if they live up in the mountains the far north, they probably got meager supplies and they can't I mean, there's so many technological reasons they could be dead. Um, but certainly in the story of Game of Thrones, they are the dwindling thing, just like giants. You think, how the hell did giants ever get extinct? Yeah. Uh, that's a good open question for Westeros. Um, you know, whatever happened to the giants?
0: Wait, giants? I'm sorry, dragons. dragons. Okay. <laughs> whatever happened to
1: the dragons? Yeah. Prime magic. Same Probably. reason we get a winters to span years and all that stuff uh benji says why aren't the giant ja- wait a second i just read this um uh, corey L said egret's death kind of bothered me first of all because i felt like egret was too badass to give two flying fucks about john Snow. i also really hated her last words she's really forcing that catchphrase and also the scene contained two of my most hated tropes one character in mortal danger is saved by an assailant getting stabbed in the back by an unseen character which already happened to Jon Snow earlier this season, and two character in the middle of the battle stopping to grieve over death without being decapitated. Happened in Blackwater. How? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Tyrion, yeah. Tyrion and uh, Pod the Rod. Yep. Um, number two always does bug me, but I guess it's poetic license. Okay. You know, I could buy that. Yeah, that. That is absolutely right. Every, every wilding's reaction to seeing a black brother cradling a body is going to be coming in there and easing their misery. <laughs> sure. So, but what are you going to do? It's a tro- They call them tropes for a reason. Uh, David J said, Rose, Leslie, that's egret uh, for the use, not no, no use, not no is a great actor. And I'm really going to miss having her character on the show, but it seemed like a waste opportunity to have Sam tell Ollie to pick up a weapon to fight rather than John. They both matured a lot through the episode, but John was a leader and the repercussions and the, had more of repercussions to it. Yes. He had a chat with Alistair Thorne. He also sent Grin to his probable death defending the gate. He went down himself and killed a thin in a nasty brawl, showing that he learned from Carl after all. Then he was happy to see Egret again, and I think happy that she was still safe and alive. Mm-hmm. I did like that reaction the fact that, yeah, you're probably going to murder me, but I'm still happy to see you.
0: That, and I'm 100% on board here. If. John had been the one to tell Ollie to get back in this fight and pick up a bow and use that bow to kill Egret. Holy shit, that's more devastating.
1: Oh, no, it would be. uh, In fact, I'm kind of amazed that they didn't do it that way. Yeah. It does seem like a missed opportunity.
0: And that's what he says. The scene would
1: have a lot more impact for me if it had been his order that Ollie had killed rather than Sam's, since it had, you know, he basically says, so dry pie for you, David J. Thanks for the email. And uh, we kind of agree with you. Certainly. Connor O said, damn you, Egret!" Tormund was clearly about uh, to tell one of his awesome stories about laying with a she-bear when Egret <laughs> shut him down. Even though we didn't get the whole story, I did appreciate the nod to the book readers and was a little bummed that didn't end with a harr. Yeah. Okay. Tormund's always making dick jokes in the books.
0: Oh, all right, I don't know that.
1: And they've really toned that down for him in the uh, episode. So, I, again, this is a little little of a uh, nod to us readers. Dick jokes, definitely not outside the wheelhouse of HBO. I can tell you that. Or Bald Move.
0: Or <laughs> Bald Move, yeah.
1: Dan from Manchester. You're making a uh, Silicon Valley Silicon ba-
0: oh my god, yes.
1: The I finale of that
0: show. Wow. I
1: see over there. Dan from Manchester says, I was rewatching the show the other day while taking a tally of... Whoa, 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 sorry. I must have copied this twice. Uh, let's move on to NTA, who has some... Uh, combat experience. It sounds like um, even medieval combat experience. He's uh, hmm. fought in some some reenactments okay. involving bladed Japanese weaponry.
0: Oh shit! I, cut, I had
1: to cut his big email. I had to cut a lot down. But here's the stuff that I thought was really intriguing. As far as the tunnel gate, all good defenses have one vulnerable point, which is created on purpose. Why? Because the enemy will try to take advantage of it, so that point becomes a predictable point of entry. A predictable enemy is a dead enemy. I wouldn't yep. have sealed up the tunnel, but instead have a major defense hidden, if possible, there, like that big fucking arrow gun they killed the giant with.
0: <laughs> Shoot not, that down the hall? Yeah. Not
1: that I would expect giants to come through there, but even with common soldiers, two or four of those things near the entrance on the southern side would demolish any troops heading through the tunnel. In fact, I was severely disappointed that they didn't ha- have pole arms there. It would have been a huge advantage for something so simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, To me, this is the biggest strategic fail. It doesn't matter if Rance Mater has 10,000 or 100,000 troops. There can only so many that fit through these tunnels, and after a while, they'd have to crawl over their own dead to get close to that inner gate. And if they somehow managed to get to the other side, you would only have to blow the tunnel to cave it in. And they had explosives, right? So this is my... Biggest problem with the whole episode. The tactics. Be- because in the books, it goes down exactly that way. Really? This inner gate was bristling oh. with like murder holes and ports that you could fire arrows, and it was a fucking bloody battle. And this giant, the impressive thing was this giant managed to fight and claw his into that, rend the gates open, and kill the Black Brothers despite of it, and it devolved to hand to hand. Also, huh. It wasn't Grin holding that gate. The Night's Watch is in such bad shape. And in the books, Sir Alistair and Slinton hadn't even gotten there yet. It was the uh, one-armed, crippled blacksmith
0: huh.
1: that was in command doing all this and doing the heroic last stand. So wow. it was even more badass. Yeah. And I don't feel like it would have cost any more money to do it that way. And just it might have. you got to that... get more on-screen giant, but... But just reducing that to one giant bull rushing into four, six guides with swords, like he says, the Night's Watch doesn't have fucking spears. And then cutting away? Stick the spears through those iron gates and see how much of a bum rush he could do against it.
0: Yeah. You know, I that – That's sad. I wish I didn't know how the books did this because it sounds a thousand times more epic. Well, now you're living in my world. <laughs> um he also said uh, the mine. Oh, this
1: is about the south walls being so low. I answered that for the historical purpose that yeah, you know, it's not supposed to defend against the south. It's only supposed to defend against the north. Mm-hmm. And if the night's watch are fully armed and operational, again, this is the defense in depth. They got the wall. They got thirteen castles along the wall. That's supposed to have a couple hundred guys in it. They're supposed to patrol the top of the wall nightly, daily. They're supposed to have cut the forest a mile back from the wall in all directions. So night wildlings can't sneak up on them. One of the big things is now that the whole country treats the night's watch like a glorified penal colony. None of that shit's happening. They only have three castles manned (laughs) everywhere beyond the the castles are manned, The forest is growing up right to the wall. So you can't see wildlings approaching. It's a shit show. (laughs) They manage to patrol the wall maybe every other week. So it's a system. It's kind of like in in the wire, you know, It's systemic failures of society to contribute to these rots that happen and these threats that that, that come about. Um, Anyway, I think that's it. We just got a big spoiler section to consider. Okay. So next week's the big finale. Mm -hmm. We have a week after that, uh, which we'll have the season wrap-up, and we'll be talking. uh, Season wrap-up is kind of light spoilery in that I talk about differences from the books to the show. The danger of that is they could always take plot lines that they didn't quite directly use and reincorporate those in the future plots. You know, like I talked about the chain in the Blackwater battle, and that might can be considered a spoiler because they had a big chain defense at the wall. But, you know, I think that's a pretty narrow view of the, the word spoiler. That's mm-hmm. what's coming up in two weeks. Next week will probably be pretty epic. We're wrapping up, you know, I can't say what we're wrapping up. We're not wrapping up. But what we had to deal with, we've got the wall. You know, what's going to happen with sure. Jon? What's going to happen with the wall? What's going to happen with Tyrion? Yep. Um, who else are we missing? What's... what's Arya what's, and the
0: Hound being at the Eerie is Arya curious. and the Hound, what's
1: going on with that? Yeah. Um, you know, what's going on with Danny? Uh, we haven't visited that side of the world since Jorah got dismissed. Yeah. Lots of stuff up in the air, lots of balls. How many of those balls are they going to punt the next season? How many are they going to resolve this season? I, myself, am insanely curious to find out. How about you, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll be there Sunday night with the Instant Cast for the finale, and we'll be there next Tuesday for the full cast. If you'd like to send email for any and all of that, it's Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. Uh, got our live show threads and our podcast threads on Facebook.com slash BaldMove. You can always get at Jim on Twitter, at BaldMove. Please, no spoilers to Jim. We're trying to keep him unsullied. And that's it. Until next time, I'm your host Aaron and I'm Jim.
0: Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Cersei, hill killing pain and now. They all think I lost but I know where I'm bound. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Fall onto Harrison.
1: Okay, we're in the spoiler section and we've got a lot to get to, so let's dig right into it. Hef says, I think with Sir Alistair's pre-battle commit comments to John and his later wounding, Sir Alistair may be back may back John for the new Lord Commander and will become more of an ally to John than in the books, alongside Ed and Sam since Grin and Pip are both undeniably dead. That is some quality speculation, Hef. I don't see anything wrong with it. It wouldn't surprise me if Sir Alistair actually ends up dying and maybe his dying words throw a little bit of weight behind John as the Lord Commander and they kind of dispense with the whole election plot or maybe the elections just between John and Slint, uh, who would be handily defeated. I don't see them wasting a lot of time on that part of the plot. So having Sir Alistair either throw himself in and then die or throw himself in and then live as his right-hand man, I don't, that part of it's what I have a trouble buying because I just I just can't see Sir Alister, the proud man that he is surviving and being hale and hearty and deciding to be subordinate to John. if anything, I could see him maybe respecting John in a new way and wanting him to be his right hand man but i I don't know it'll be interesting to see how the show handles that. Aaron W. says, Episode 9 had some interesting moments, but the thing that struck me is Ammon's talk with Sam about loving a woman. I seem to remember some rumor and speculation that Ammon at least knew who John's real father was, and some have even suggested that he could be John's father. Could the old object of affection he's talking about possibly be John's real mother? No fucking way, because he's way too old. Also, that you might have gotten the uh, R plus L equals J theory conflated with some other Targaryen, because as far as I know, Amon has no clue of John's true parentage. <clears throat> that if you subscribe to the L R plus L equals J theory, that he is a secret Targaryen prince. Uh, I just I don't don't see that. And there's as far as I you know, again, John being the mother. If Ammon is 102, how old would John's mother have to be to make that a realistic? Herring. keep in mind that Ammon spent most of his life as a maester and at the wall where he's pledged not to have any children so I don't I just don't think the timeline works works out but decent bit of speculation still Rebecca B says in the books egress party of wildings heads immediately to attack castle black but John gets back in time to warn the knight's watch they fight the south side battle first and have the north side battle it was kind of awesome that both battles go on at the same time in the show there's probably all sorts of practical reasons to make that happen simultaneously, but it did create a few problems. One, Ygritte's death in the book happened just after John left her, separating her, them for a whole season before kind, uh, before killing her was kind of crummy. Uh, agreed. Mance had hoped to avoid a frontal assault that would have added depth to watch him hear the news that the Southside attack had failed, knowing that this means a lot of wildings will have to die for a frontal assault to succeed. True. The entire wall plot line of the season has been battle preparation, the small south side battle, frantic recuperation, and north side battle might have been a better arc. I, you know, it would have been interesting if they had spread this across more than one episode and they had had the little mini set piece of the southern part of the, the commando assault happen in one episode, and then the main, they could have spent a little bit more money and made a little bit more time to give that you know, northern side assault a little bit more oomph, because like I said in the the feedback part of the podcast, I thought that was the the most disappointing thing, that they reduced Mance's attack to very simplistic and brainless things. You know, the commando raid, you know, it fails, that's one thing. Then you have a frontal assault that doesn't involve people climbing the wall under withering fire, and it doesn't involve advancing without any kind of support. Um, You know, it just makes it look like both sides were smart and they're trying to adapt to each other's tactics. And it certainly was more moving. You know, they could have dropped Grin into place. Um, uh, replacing Replacing Donald Noyle with Grin is not problematic. But having it a single, you know, giant battling Grin, I think, is problematic for all the reasons I talked about in the feedback. So... This Most of the time when they've singled on to a single location, it's been to good effect. This is one of the few times where they spent a whole time in one location and it felt like maybe it would have been better if they had a part one to battle, part two of battle, and then conclude with whatever they're going to do next. Um, if it had been a better rhythm and had that better broken up. Chris F. said, I thought the episode delivered. We got Sir Alistair being a jerk, but also being a great leader. Unlike the book, he wasn't there for this battle. I thought for sure he died in a tunnel. Actually, as a stand-in for Donald Noyle, or Donald Noy, rather. Noy? I don't know how you pronounce the guy's but I've never heard it pronounced. Um, loved how they showed at the top of the wall with the dugout tunnels. It makes so much more sense than trying to fight on a flat ice rink with a 700-foot drop, which is how I pictured it in the books. Even though we knew, and maybe it's because I saw the series first, but I always imagined the the at the top having some sort of wall, and that in the middle part that they gravel and salted it down, so it's like you got really nice, firm footing up there. But anyway, even though we knew that kid was going to kill Egret, that scene was good anyway. I liked John's smile. It seemed genuine. His guard was probably way down after getting beat up so badly, and he was just happy to see her, even though he was probably sure she'd kill him. Tormund was great, and his ending scene was great too, and Jon just casually shooting him in the leg to shut him up. Pip was a little weak. I didn't really care that he died. Grin's death was awesome, but why take only six people into the tunnel and no arrows or spears? Very good point. One thing that's bothering me about Sam is that everyone, Jon, Aemon, others at the Wall, talk openly about him and as being in love. Why doesn't anyone point out that it doesn't matter how much he loves her? He's literally a member of a monastic order of soldiers that can never have girlfriends. The conversation can just stop right there. It's not at all possible for them to stay together. There are no women in Castle Black, but as far as anyone in the show world knows, women are never, ever, ever going to live there. Another book spoiler problem I'm having is Jon going out to talk with Mance. In the book, Jon was under duress and expecting to die. I don't get the feeling that he expects to die in the show. He seems to think he's actually going to go kill Mance. But if that's the case, then why not bring his sword and ghost? Why would anyone even let him near Mance? Good question. Again, there was speculation in the show universe that John's going to go up under subterfuge, thinking that he's greeting, uh, you know, victorious John Snow has just taken over the wall and John's going to stab him in the back or something. Clearly, I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm also seriously curious on how he's going to talk himself out of this um, and kind of realign where where we know these things are going in the book, which is kind of an uneasy piece forged between the Night's Watch and, and the Wildlings. Max G said, one of my favorite privileges of being a book reader is speculating on what book events will be put into each episode. Like you said, in episode nine instant cast, there's still a ton of major shit happening in Westeros and needs to be wrapped up in one episode. I think it's shaking up to be one of the most interesting season finales that Game of Thrones has had so far, and I'd like to hear your take on what will happen. Just for shits and giggles, here's my predictions. Tyrannic escapes, shown in a 15-minute teaser for season four, Danny chains up her dragons. Uh, Stannis saves the crow's asses. Bran finds the children of the forest. My ballsy's prediction is that Brienne meets up with the Hound and Arya. She bites off the Hound's ear, which she said in an interview. And Arya escapes to go to Braavos. This gives Brienne's arc a little bit more meaning. No Lady Stoneheart or Cold Hands. I think they'll leave that for when Brienne gets captured. Okay. My I actually like I think Tyrion's escape is is granted. And in fact, there is one scene where someone's pushing open a door, looks to the king's chambers, which I think is a POV shot of Tyrion doing just that. That was in this episode's preview or episode 10 preview. Danny Chaining up her dragons. You know, obviously that's going to happen. Uh, Stannis saves the crow's asses. obviously going to happen. Bran finds the children of the forest. Um, obviously going to happen. Uh, in fact, I think that's the main reason why it's called The Children. And I honestly, I don't I think Brienne is not going to meet up the Hound and Arya. But you could be right. Uh, I think Arya is going to leave the Hound to die in this extra length episode, uh, just pretty much like the book where she doesn't give him mercy and she walks off. I think Brienne's going to be befe- uh, beset by some. Uh, ne'er-do-well's on the road and the brotherhood of that banner is going to break it up. And I think the last thing we're going to see is a lady Stoneheart reveal. And um, that's my prediction. I don't think stone cold hands is ever, ever, ever going to show up. I really don't think he's going to, um, if we're lucky, we'll get to see them battle their way to the red tree with the whites, with, you know, brand, uh, the Hodor. But I kind of feel like that maybe that won't be a non-issue that they'll just waltz in, to meet the the uh, last Greenseer, and that'll be that. There won't be any fight or because they've kind of already done the whole warging in the Hodor. We know it can be done. We know they get in there. They don't have – it's an extra long, like, 62-minute episode, but it's not that long for all the shit that they got to do. So it might just be, hey, just waltz right in there. Um, although, man, that's a lot of – I kind of worry with Jim what he's going to do when they hit him in the face with some of the supernatural stuff. Hitting him in the face with a man growing into a tree. That's all going to be about visions and warging and all that. Plus Lady Stoneheart might be more than his little boy heart can handle. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Janine S. A.K.A. The Dragon Walker. So I'm dreading episode 10 in so many ways. We could conceivably lose the Hound, the Tywin, and who knows who else. Is there anyone worth following next season besides Arya and Tyrion? Number one, we don't lose the Hound. The Hound becomes a Grave Digger. The Grave Digger is coming back in a big way with the Clagain Bowl. Get hyped. That's number one. Uh, number two, anyone worth following next season like Arya and Tyrion? Mm, they're still going to have a bunch of cool stuff with Dany. Uh You know? <laughs> I mean, that was one of my problems with Feast. You still got Jamie probably being cool. Uh, going through the riverlands and dealing with the blackfish and all that. That's going to be interesting to look forward to. I'm actually super looking forward to Cersei's slide into uh, delusions of grandeur. I think that's going to be massively entertaining. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, big key moments like uh, the militant faith coming back. I'm looking forward to Kybern's experimentation. I'm looking forward to... You know, how they're going to handle everything going on with the uh, Krakens, with the Greyjoys, whether they're going to do the King's Moon or not, how they're going to introduce Euron and uh, Victarion, whether they're going to do that at all. uh, What's going to go on with Winterfell, with the Boltons taking in, uh, the Ghost of Winterfell. There's a lot of really cool stuff. Jon Snow dealing with all the aftermath of what's going to happen here and him being Lord Commander. A lot of stuff to root for if you really think about it. Uh, she goes on to mention I'm beginning to suffer from death fatigue, and I'm a good book reader. The deaths of Pin- Pip and Grin were especially hard as I thought that they were two of the few characters at the wall we'd really gotten to know and care about. Now, say for Ed, why bother? Sure, John and Sam and Maester Eamon are interesting, but they can't carry uh, more than a fairly short scene. Uh, I'm looking forward to potential Stannis. Uh, inter, uh, and Thor, Who are you talking about? Uh, Tormund, maybe? And Tormund interacting, if that happens. Otherwise, where do we go next? Um, like I said, I think I laid out some pretty compelling plot lines for next season. And we'll have to see whether the show delivers. I have faith that they will. It is going to be a big reset of people's expectations. You know, If you've been thinking that Tyrion's going to take over to Iron Throne or that... You know, a Stark is going to sit on that Iron Throne or that the White Walker is going to show up and crystallize everybody's ambitions or that Dany's going to get her stuff together and sail for Westeros. If you're looking forward to any of that stuff happening, you're going to be disappointed. But there is a lot of other compelling stuff and new hopes appearing. Uh, the Sand Snakes, for example, which I'm about to talk about. And what all the intrigue with are we going to meet Doran Mart- Martell? And, you know, what is their plan to avenge Prince Oberon? And how are they going to introduce all their daughters and that whole family? And how much, you know, we're going to see what happens to Marcella and what's been going on there with Aries Oakhart and all that. Again, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff coming ahead. I just don't know there's two seasons worth of stuff. In fact, I'm scared that they're going to get into Winds of Winter next season, but I'm also hoping that we'll have the Winds of Winter by next spring. Now, stave off the madness of you know book readers completely losing their shit for at least two years, uh, and we'll see what happens. So now, next tinfoil theory of the week. This one I'm really super excited about because this is another one that I read um, that made me think, oh, we need to do this as a segment on the podcast. It's a, it involves a fan favorite character and what he's been up to, and some possible theories. And this is basically tinfoil regarding Jack and Hagar. Let's talk about what we know for sure about Jack and Hagar. We first meet him. He's in prison in King's Landing in the Black Cells, and he's with Rorge and Biter. They're two awful people. They're put in a wagon to be sent to Castle Black. They get uh, fallen in by some Lannister guards who accidentally set the wagon on fire. Arya saves them from being burned to death by freeing them. He later meets Arya in Harrenhal, where he gives her three names that, of men that he will kill in exchange, uh, well, actually to balance the debt that he has to repay her for saving his life. Uh, he does all that, and at the end, once he free- helps Ari escape from Hall, he magically transforms his face into the visage of a man with a hooked nose, a scar upon his cheek, a gold tooth, and black curly hair. He gives her a bravosi coin, and an iron coin, and then tells her about Valor Margulis, and the wishes her well, and then that's the last we see of him. Or is it? In the Feast for Crows prologue, we're introduced to a boy uh, named by the name of Pate, which is a reference to a folk story about Pate the Pig, uh and he's actually named after that character and he hates that fact he doesn't like anyone to remind him of it but the boy's name's pate and he's a novice at old town he's uh, a novice which means he's studying to be a maester he's been there for several years and he has yet to forge even one link so he's kind of dim-witted and he is lusting after a girl that cost a gold dragon to lay with and to get that money, he's met up with this alchemist who says he can transform iron things into gold, but they have to be particular iron things. He instructs him to steal one of the Archmaesters' key. It's an iron key that supposedly will open any door in the citadel, which is where the maesters all stay. He meets with them later in the prologue, and he exchanges the key for a gold dragon. He has to see the alchemist's face. The alchemist is described as having a hooked nose, a scar upon his che- cheek, a gold tooth, and black curly hair. This is an identical description to how we last saw Jack and Hagar look. As soon as he makes the exchange, Pate starts feeling faint, he starts feeling dizzy, and he passes out. Now, uh, then later on, like 45 chapters later, in one of Sam's chapters, he goes to Old Town, which is, you know, if you're you're a show watcher not a book reader, shame on you. You shouldn't be here. But number two, you're probably pretty confused because what the hell is Sam doing in Old Town? You'll have to find out. But Sam's in Old Town un, uh, under instruction of the Jon Snow because we need a replacement uh, maester. Ma- maester Aemon was getting pretty old. I actually fucked up and mentioned that he died in the cats proper. I Had to go back and edit it out. But anyway, uh, he's there to study. He's talking to some of his peers. And he's talking this mess about how Master Aemon sent him there, talking about dragons and talking about how he he feels Danny is part of this prophecy that uh, Rhaegar had, and they need to find out about dragons and then go counsel her and teach her and and, uh, train her in these ways. And she finds this person uh, whose name is Alaris, and he calls himself the Sphinx. And he's part of a a group of uh, Citadel Acolytes, who align, there's two kind of factions of, of maesters, the ones that seem to want to deny there's magic and stamp out magic in the world and sp- promote reason over faith and magic, and there's these kind of secretive group of maesters uh, that all align with this guy named Marwyn, who's known as the Mage, who still uh, studies these things, who studies magic and mystery, and who tries to light the dragon glass candles and who are you know, studying about dragons and ghosts and all of the things that go bump in the night. So Alaris said, uh, you're wasting time with these other guys. You need to meet with this guy. So he takes him to meet Marwyn the mage. Uh, Marwyn has been mentioned by several unsavory characters at this point. In Essos, uh, Miri Mazdur, she's the magi. She's the witch that used blood magic to quote-unquote cure Cal Drogo and largely people think was responsible for some part of, you know, Drogo being brought back as a brainless vegetable for the Dana- Danny's uh a stillbirth who turned into some kind of twisted monster uh responsible for the birth of the dragon eggs or the hatching of the dragon eggs. She mentions that she learned about human anatomy from a maester named Marwyn. So there's one end savory connection. Uh Kyburn mentions to Jamie Lannister that he believes in the possibility of the ghosts, and he mentions that none of the maesters wanted to listen to him except for Marwyn, and he's the only one that gave any thought to the matter. So, Kyburn is a admirer of this Marwyn. So these things might be somewhat bothersome to him, but the whole time Sam's telling him in this story <clears throat> about what Maester Aemon wanted him to do and about the dragons. Marwan decides that he needs to do this. He needs to leave the Citadel. He needs to sail over to Slaver's Bay, and he needs to reach Daenerys and talk to her before any of the other gray sheep, which is, he calls the other maesters. They get a bright idea to go over there and to cause trouble. Because Marwan, one of the other things he intimates is that the maesters are responsible for the death of the dragons in the first place through some unknown process. I say all this for two things. One, Pate... The pig boy is sitting in the corner and listening this, to this entire conversation. And in fact, once Marwin leaves, he escorts Sam to his quarters and says, "Hi, I'm Pig. I'm, I'm Pate, like in, like the pig." Th- Number one, no one, to my knowledge, has survived. No POV character from a prologue has ever survived. So I don't think Pate fainted. I think Pate died. More to the point, I think Pate was poisoned by the alchemist, who is Jack and Hagar. I don't think Jack and Hagar stole this kid's face and is now parading around the, as Pate. My question is why? What is Jack and Hagar doing in Westeros? Why did he come to the uh, King's Landing? Why did he let himself be in prison? And I say let himself be in prison because there's no way a faceless man assassin. Would have gotten to a bar fight, or murdered someone, or did whatever, and got caught, and then made his way, found himself rotting in black cells without, unable to escape. No fucking way. Does it have something to do with Arya? There's a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, if we want to go another level, tinfoil deep, that Cyril Forel was actually Jack and Hagar, and that he was sent by the Faceless Men, by to. To recruit Arya, basically, and send her on a path that would lead them, uh, lead her over to Braavos to take up and learn the Faceless Men's ways to some weird end. So he began her training, he protected her, uh, he escaped somehow from the clutches of Marin fucking Trant, which wouldn't be too tough, and Marin Trant would just not say anything about it to save face, he then found himself to be captured, um, or put into black cells, arranged to be put into the same uh, transport going to the wall as Arya did, um, put himself in position where she could rescue him, helped her through Hall, gave her the coin that's going to eventually lead her across the narrow sea into Braavos, and now he's over in Old Town doing God knows what. Um, he is aligned with this Marwyn character, which is a pro-Dany, pro-Dragon uh, force. Uh, another piece of tinfoil, there's the character that actually Sam introduces himself to and tells the story about the dragons. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to stop talking about dragons and visions and prophecies and, and You need to come see this Marwin guy. This Alaris guy. His physical description matches a masculine version of one of the Sand Snakes, one of Oberon's daughters, Sorella. Uh, she's an excellent archer. So is this guy. He's brilliant. And he's already forged three chains. Um this is very similar to like Oberyn. He, she's kind of described as similar to Oberyn's daughter. And the kicker, Alaris, is Sarella spelled backwards. The Martells have a vested uh, interest in supporting Danny because they had the secret marriage pact alliance that was going to marry off uh, uh, one of uh, the Prince Doran's daughter to uh, Viserys. Viserys got himself killed, so then. Doran's trying to pull the switcheroo and send Quentin over to marry Danny, which we know had disastrous consequences. But Sorella doesn't know that at the time of the story. So, could she be sitting there to learn her links and, and maybe go over to help Danny with these dragons? What is the end game here? Where are the faceless men fit in? And are they over there to kill somebody? I mean, that's usually what the faceless men do, right? They don't just go on a missions willy-nilly. Someone pays them at great cost to perform a certain mission, and then they do it. What mission could possibly explain Jack and Hagar being over there for years, winding this very circuitous plot through Westeros, intersecting with Arya's lives, now intersecting with Sam, who's on a mission from another Stark, partial Targaryen. There's some thread here, but I just can't figure it out. I would love to know from you people if you've got some insight into this. Uh, piece of tinfoil. How you think that, um, you know, is Sirio or was Sirio Jackin? Uh, is, you know, I think the Jackin equals the Alchemist is pretty plain on reading, although I didn't get it the first time through. Is he Pate? What is he doing with Marwan? Um, I'd appreciate any of that stuff sending into Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Thank you for listening to another episode, uh, another instance, another installment of the spoiler cast, another installment of our tinfoil theories. Can't wait to talk about more next week, and I will see you then.